Are you a fan or are you a follower? And before you say, well, yeah, of course I'm a fan. You know, it's Bay Area. They got some good sports teams going around here. You know, the A's are doing well. The 49ers are doing well. You know, that, that's not the kind of fan that I'm getting after, all right? Uh, we all know what those fans look like and how they act, right? Right? In fact, let, let's play a little game, all right? When you see a fan, will you tell me who they are cheering for, all right? So who are these guys cheering for? 49ers. All right. Give me another one. Who are these guys cheering for? The Indians or the uh, jack-o'-lanterns, right? Looks kind of odd in their, in their faces. Uh, all right. Who are these next guys cheering for? The Raiders. Hey, always got a few of those fans around here, right? Right? That's probably in the black hole, okay? Uh, who's this guy cheering for? He's a Ram fan. Sure, sure. All right. Who's this next guy cheering for? Giants, um, I understand that they are already in hibernation uh, this year. Um, because, because of these next fans, these next fans have come out. Who are they for? Dodgers. Okay, yeah. Some of you would say that this team has gone to the dogs, right? Okay, right, right. Uh, and then, and then who, uh, who is this guy a fan for? You know John 3.16, man, right? He gets to a lot of those sporting events and to those games. I mean, you look at that and you say, he's a fan of Jesus, right? He's a fan of Jesus. So I had to throw him in there as well, right? That's John 3.16 guy. Um, I, I'm talking about being a follower, though, of Jesus. Not, not, a, not a fan of, of any sporting team and event or not even a follower of them, but certainly a follower of Jesus because a, a fan is someone who dresses up. And a fan is someone who, who yells from the stands and, and gets fickle or boos when the team doesn't do well or cheers wildly when the team does do well. Uh, a fan, in fact, is described as an enthusiastic admirer. That's truly what a fan is. And it's not just of a sports team. You could be a fan of a band. You could be a fan of a celebrity. I mean, some of you probably, you know, get your People magazine and you read and you know, you know, all the facts and figures about your favorite celebrity, what kind of high school they went to or what kind of hair their natural hair color is or, or any of those other things that you become a fan of them. Those are fans who are enthusiastic admirers. But when it comes to Jesus, he never gives you that kind of an option. To just be an enthusiastic admirer is not what he allows. With Jesus, it is an all or nothing proposition. Unfortunately, in America, in the American church, we have become a breeding ground for just being fans and not truly being wholehearted, committed followers of Jesus. In fact, you want to know how this kind of bridges from sports analogy to the church analogy it is, is a sad realization that in America, more of our churches have gone from being sanctuaries to being stadiums. Where we come in here on Sunday morning and perhaps all we do is we cheer for Jesus, but we have no true intention of being true followers of Him with what that actually means. In fact, if you want to know the honest truth about this, the biggest threat to the church today are fans who call themselves Christians, but aren't actually interested in following Jesus. That's the biggest threat to church today. 
to be a fan who comes in and maybe looks like a follower, but all you want to do is just kind of sit back, and when something goes right, you cheer it. When something goes wrong, you boo it. Maybe looks good to certain people. Maybe you put a little bit in the offering plate. Maybe you sing the songs when you're supposed to. You laugh at the jokes. But when the fun message isn't quite as serious, maybe you're kind of like, ah, I'm not so sure I like this. We want to be close enough to Jesus to get all the benefits, but not close enough that it requires something from us. That's being a fan. And so let me ask you, are you a fan or are you a follower? In fact, let me ask it this way. Let me ask it the way of the, the DTR. Okay, if you've already gotten your book, and if you've read any of it, you kind of know what the DTR is. In fact, how many of you have the book, Not a Fan? How many of you have already started reading that? Okay, so you probably know what the DTR is, right? The DTR, if you have been in any sort of a relationship, a serious relationship at any point in your life, you probably at one time or another experienced the DTR. You know what that is? Defining the relationship, Right? It'll make a grown man hyperventilate to have to do that with his, with his woman. How do we, where are we going in this relationship? How do you define this? Defining their relationship. Let's do that with Jesus for a second here. All right? And, and I want to do this in the way uh, that goes beyond just the John 3.16 verse, right? We're aware of that John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. We're aware of that verse. But I want to take it to the Luke 9.23 level. You know what that level is? It's where Jesus said, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and what? follow me. Okay, John 3.16, wonderful verse. John 3.16, man, knows John 3.16, right? But what about Luke 9.23? You don't see that verse very often at a sporting event across someone's chest. If you're going to follow, pick up your cross and follow me. See, there were times when Jesus spoke to the crowds of people and he taught on a level that they could all understand But then there are other times when he kind of thinned some things out, when he thinned the crowds out, and he went deeper into a teaching that was a little harder to understand. And then there were other times that he gathered his disciples around him, and he taught them a little differently, and he challenged them a little differently. And then there are other times when he went after one individual and just said, hey, what does this mean to you personally? And so that's where I want to go today for just a second. Let's imagine for just a second that Jesus is asking for the DTR with you. You, you go out to lunch today, this afternoon, and you sit down. And um, in that restaurant, you see Jesus come walking into the restaurant, which, by the way, you know it's Jesus by, he has the blue sash going on, right? That's how we know Jesus, about shoulder-length hair. That's Jesus, right? So he comes up, and he sits across from you, and he asks you the question, the DTR. And here it is. Here's the first one. He begins to ask you a series, in fact, of three questions. You can write them down on your outline. First one's this. Why are you here? Why are you here? And let's act like he's asking that to you today. Why are you here in church today? Why are you here? See, it's interesting in the book of John where um, Jesus is talking with a group of fans. And he shows them what it means to be a true follower 
of Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, open them up to uh, excuse me, John chapter 6. John chapter 6. And as you're turning to find John 6, let me uh, kind of set the context here. Jesus has been healing a lot of people. He's been performing miracles. He's going to feed 5,000 here in John uh, 6, 1 through 15. And that feeding, that, that's a huge deal. I mean, that rocked their world. You, we think now it's not a big problem to feed people in large masses. It, it just was unheard of back in the New Testament days. And so whether intentionally or unintentionally, he has gathered a following. It's a large crowd, and it happens to be a crowd of fans. And so look at what it says in John 6, verse 2. This is a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. And so you have these signs, these miracles that are being done. And a little bit later here, you have the feeding of the 5,000 in verses 5 through 13. And so these people are coming around. They're noticing what's going on here. Something's different about this person. He draws a large crowd. You go a little further and you see in verses 14 and 15, the people are coming to him. So Jesus retreats to this mountainside and says, you know what, um, I, I need to pull away because I'm gathering too large of a crowd. And so he goes up into the northern region to a city called Capernaum. And when they find him, they, they chase him down and they find him. And it's as though they're saying, hey, Jesus, we, uh, we really appreciated that dinner, that, that feeding, you know, the loaves and the fish. Uh, do you think you could do that with dessert as well? I mean, because that would be really nice for us. We're, we're kind of hungry out here, and you gave us something good. We want to see more of that happen. And so Jesus realizes that's the angle they're coming from. And so he begins to transition them to more spiritual things. And he says, well, you know what? You've seen, you know, the bread, and you've seen that kind of substance that you're going to have. But let me tell you about the true substance. Let me tell you about my God, my Father in heaven, and what he is giving to you. And then what he says, look what he says in verse 26. And I'm going to jump around a little bit until we get to the true text, and that is a little bit later here. But go to uh, verse uh, 26. It says, Then Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. It was good, and you're coming back. He says, Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. And they are stuck on this feeding of the masses because in verses 30 and 31, they start talking about the manna that was given to the Israelites in heaven. Like, you know, God fed us this way and he can do it again. So Jesus, would you keep that up? And finally in verse 35, Jesus just says, hey folks, I am from heaven. I am the bread of life that comes from heaven. And people are shocked at this. In fact, Scripture says they begin to grumble they begin to say, no, you're not. You're, you're saying you're from heaven, that, that God is your father. You, God's not your father. We see who your father was. It was Joseph and Mary. We knew where you were born. Why are you saying you're this bread of life from heaven? That's kind of creepy, Jesus. Don't be saying that. And then Jesus gets even more creepy on him. Because he goes on in verse 53, and he says, you know what you're going to have to do? If you want to truly know me... You're going to have to eat my flesh, and you're going to have to drink my blood. (gasps) You hear this gasp come out of the crowd. What? What is he talking about? Now, if you were wanting to start a movement and get a large crowd of people, would that be the sentence, the statement that you would be saying to them? Right? 
I mean, I mean, would that be the zinger to attract them and to really bring them in? Probably not, huh? 2,000 years later, we know that by that statement he is saying the, the communion, the, the, the Lord's Supper, the, the last supper that we celebrate and we think, okay, eat his flesh, the, the, the cracker, the bread that we take, and drink his blood, the, the juice or the wine that we partake in. Oh, we, we, we get it. Without, we understand that now. But here in the first century, no one was understanding that. And so you can just see these people questioning him. You can see these people saying, I- I'm not sure I get this. And what Jesus is doing, he's really kind of thinning the crowds down. He's saying, do you just want to be fans of mine? Or do you want to be true followers? Look at verse 60. John 6, verse 60. When many of his disciples heard it, the- these tough kind of teachings, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to this? In other words, it's a Greek phrase that says, who is going to get in line with what he is saying? Who can go along with this? Who who can work with this? This is difficult. Ah, very difficult grasshopper, kind of is what he's saying there. They're like, like, ah, I'm not so sure about this. I'm not sure, so sure we want this uh, coming our way. Give us the feeding. Give us the easier things. This is getting kind of tough. Now, even the 12 disciples were kind of scratching their head and questioning this. Let me tell you what's going on between the lines here. Remember, Jesus is kind of traveling around with a lot of disciples, probably more than 12 at this time. There's some other women who are gathered um, and following him as well. And there's a larger mass of, of, of disciples at this point. There's certainly a larger crowd of fans are at this point as well who are saying, hey, we love the food, keep that coming. We love the miracles, keep that coming as well. But now they begin to kind of shake their heads. They begin to say, oh man, bread from heaven, okay, you kind of lost it there, Jesus, and, and eating your body and drinking your blood, I'm not so sure that that's going to fly with, with these people. The disciples, the 12, are kind of taking on rock star status. They kind of got, hey, Jesus, this is pretty cool. You got the large crowds coming, so maybe you could kind of keep those tougher teachings away, Jesus. Maybe, maybe, in fact, maybe you could just do the miracles, Jesus. Maybe just the feeding. That will keep the people coming. If you want to think of it in presidential terms, it's kind of like there's his campaign advisory team, right? He's saying that the polls were dropping, Jesus. The CNN poll is not revealing real good things right now. So why don't you bring in some more, some more feedings, bring in some more miracles. But Jesus says, that's not where I'm going, guys. And he's aware what the disciples are really wanting him to do. But instead, he asks them a second question. And here's the question that he asks them. It's on your outline as well. His question is, Hey guys, are you all in? First of all, why are you here? Why are you a part of what I'm doing? And now, let me ask you, are you all in on this? What's he getting after? Verse 61. Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling, said to them, do you take offense at this? Is this making you stumble? Is this making you question? Is this making you doubt your association and your following of me? Is this this making you uneasy? See, in verse 66, John actually reflects upon this and he says, go to verse 66, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Now, we know the 12 are still there. They're going to be talked about in just a bit. But many of the other disciples turned away 
and no longer walked with him, it's starting to thin out, isn't it? The fans are starting to leave. And you have to wonder if his 12 disciples were kind of feeling the same sort of thing. If they were kind of feeling like, you know what, the next time he teaches out in the uh, courtyard temple, maybe we'll just kind of sneak behind one of those pillars and we'll just kind of go on our own way as well and we'll just kind of be gone. Because that's what the fans are starting to do. That's what the masses, the crowds are starting to do. And when it's just the 12 disciples, look at what he says to them in verse 67. Says, so Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Uh-oh, it's getting tough now. I mean, Jesus is bringing this right to them. Being a Jesus follower may not be the popular thing to do now. And you can just imagine the disciples, the twelve, are kind of like, okay, nobody maintain eye contact with Jesus. Don't look him in the eye because he knows what's going on in our hearts. Don't look at him. We need to decide this. Here come the doubts. What's going on here? And Jesus says, um, do you want to go away as well? Because all these other fans just did that. All these other masses are on their way. And I'm calling you guys out. And he's saying, it's no longer just going to be easy. Now following me is going to cost you something. Today might be a crossroads for you. I remember a time in my life when um, I was needing to make a decision about following Jesus or not as a lifestyle, as actually a career that I was looking at going into. And it was a time when I was in the Dominican Republic on a short-term mission trip. I might have talked a little bit about this when uh, I was going through the candidating process. And uh, I remember being on that mission trip and being very lonely. I remember being on the mission trip and uh, not having a lot of other people to be able to talk to because I only had one interpreter. And so there were, there were tough times and alone times. And it was times where, where me and Jesus were having just some days of saying, okay, Brad, where's your life going? Because I knew he was asking me to follow him. I just wasn't sure I wanted to do it as much as he wanted me to. I wasn't sure if it was to be a career in following him. As a life calling 24-7 and what I did. Now all of us are called to that level. But as a pastor kind of a calling. In fact, I I had to really scratch my head on this. Because um, there, there were some really tough questions I had to kind of get a hold of. I, I had a half year of college left, and I was needing to decide about if I was going to seminary or not. And so some of these like deeply, deeply spiritual questions were coming up like, God, if I'm going to be a pastor, like that is going to severely limit like 99% of the women who would even want to date me, right? Right? I, I mean, uh, certainly all the cute ones wouldn't want to date me, like if I'm going to be a pastor, right? Right? Which in my case was not the case because I got a smoking hot wife, right? Okay? Yeah. Yeah. And I did not tell her I was going to say that because she wouldn't have come today if I did. So, fine. I mean, you go into these, like these, like these, like these really important questions like, God, this is now not just to my advantage. This is a radical call, like, like doing soul searching. Like, God, um, if I answer the call to go into full-time ministry, I'm like never going to get to watch a 10 o'clock NFL game live. Like, like I'm never going to get to drive like a Porsche or a Corvette. I mean, I mean, you know, do you want to make this much? You want to make this much? You, do, do you, can you drive that and be a pastor? You know, I, you know, all these questions, all these super spiritual questions are coming out like, really? Right? 
really, where, where do I want to go with all this? Jesus, I want to follow you, but I'm not sure I want to follow you that much. Maybe in some way you're experiencing some of those same questions in your life. Maybe, maybe you're at a crossroads in your own life, and you've got some hard decisions coming your way. Maybe you're in college. We have a number of college students who are here today. Maybe you came fired up out of your group, youth group, high school group, and now the college scene isn't quite so easy. And now it's costing you. And now you're having to spend some Friday nights alone in the dorms. Because if you want to go out and follow the crowds, you go out and you get wasted, you go out and you sleep around. But now you're saying, um, maybe I should not be doing that because Jesus is asking, do you... Uh, do you want to go away as well? Do you want to go with them? But Jesus is so hard. This is not easy anymore. And it's not to my advantage to be a Christian, right? I, I mean, I, I'd love to date that person or that person or that person, but they're not a Christian and I know. And so, wow. You know, I, Jesus is saying, well, do you want to go away as well? Or do you want to follow what I'm asking for you in your life? Maybe it's at your work. Maybe in your workplace, you're the only one following the rules with the company, and now people are pressing you to fudge a little bit. Everybody does it. It's all right, and they're pressing you to fudge, to get ahead, to do things that are a little over the line. And after work, they're the ones who go out, and they go out and drink, and most of them are cheating on their marriages anyway. And now Jesus is saying, well, do you want to go away as well? Do you want to follow those crowds? Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe your marriage used to be easy, but now you're having problems. In fact, you don't even want to discuss those kind of problems, so you just kind of keep them hidden. Maybe the only thing that is even keeping you in, in your marriage is a faith that you have. And Jesus is saying, do you want to go away as well? So you're not the first person to ask those questions. I wasn't the first person to ask those questions. The disciples are right there. They're dealing with some different issues, but they are right there. And so Jesus, point blank, Ask them that question. Do you want to go away as well? Because a bunch of fans just exited. And this would be a good time just to kind of go away if you need to. And then Peter steps up. And he answers Jesus. And I don't know if he answered Jesus immediately or if there was kind of this, you know, cricket chirping kind of moment. Like nobody's talking, so I'm going to talk. Peter, Peter often does that. But he, but he steps up there and he answers and he says this. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? In verse 68. Lord, to whom shall we go? Because here's what Peter knew about this. Yes, maybe we're thinking about blending into the crowd. Yes, maybe this would be a good time not to follow you, Jesus. But if we walk away from you, Jesus, we're going to walk after something else. Jesus, if we don't walk your way, if we don't walk the way of your cross, if we don't walk the way that you've asked us to walk, we're going to follow someone. We're going to follow something. Jesus, I'd rather that be you. That's what he says. Where else can I go? Where else should I go? Peter says, refusing to opt to, to, to follow you, I'm going to follow somebody else. And if I back away from you, then I'm going to back into something else. Jesus, I would rather it be you. And those difficult days are so tough when you are making decisions of if you're going to follow Jesus or not. 
I, um, a few years ago, was um, called by a young couple who were in college, wanted to come into my office and talk to me a little bit about life and where it was going. They came in, they sat down, they had said they'd been coming to the crosswalk service off and on for a year or so. And um, as we got down to the nitty-gritty of what they were there for, um, they had said that they were going to get married. He had said, he had promised, she was open to that, wanting that to happen. He was pressuring her to sleep with him. Over time, she gave in, she lost her virginity. And a few weeks afterwards, all of a sudden, now he's turned the other way. Nope, you're not the one for me. And she's hurt. She's in pain, she's in tears. Jesus wants to save us from those kind of situations. Jesus wants you to say, in the midst of that, I want to follow you. That's why I am so thrilled that in our community groups that over 500 of you are jumping into, we have people from all different life stages. And some of you who are a little older, maybe you've been down the road a little bit longer and you've walked the Christian faith a little bit longer, for you to get alongside some of us younger folks and say, hey, just want to be praying for you. Hey, just want to be helping you. Hey, just want to be looking out that I made some mistakes in my life that I want to keep you from making. And some of you younger folks are coming alongside some of the older folks and you're showing them the world's not going to the hell in a handbasket. Hey, we're doing all right too. We can follow Jesus as well. Will be something that is a God miracle going on here at this church. And we've never quite done it this way. In fact, we've just let the Holy Spirit kind of allow you to choose groups and to come together. But those groups are going to be groups that we just kind of come and we say, okay, what does this mean for me following Jesus? What does this mean? And so there's the question. Are you a fan or are you a follower? Because following Jesus means following him when it's easy. It means following him when it's harder. And it means following him when it is really hard. Following Jesus means giving up control. Following Jesus means complete control is yours. Because, you know, most of the time, we want him to just kind of make some minor changes. What he's saying is, I want to come in and I want to make you completely, completely new. We said, Jesus, why don't you just give me a little touch-up? He says, nope, I want a complete renovation of your life. We say, Jesus, how about a little tune-up? Tune-up would be fine. He says, nope, complete overhaul is what's in order here. We say, you know, you can just apply a little makeup. That'll kind of make things good. Nope, he says, complete makeover. That's where it needs to go. We say, well, just do a little redecorating and that'll be fine. He says, nope, complete remodel of your life. We say, would you just kind of inspire me a little bit? He says, no, I want to interfere with you and where your life is going because I want to make it better for you. I don't want you following the fans. I don't want you following the world. I want you following me. In fact, there's a quote out of the Not A Fan book. It's got a lot of great information, great quotes. It says this, there's no forgiveness without repentance. There's no salvation without surrender. There's no life without death. There's no believing without committing. Those are statements we need to start listening to. Those are statements we need to start following if we're going to be true followers. And so let me just kind of bring up the question. Let me just kind of ask the question point blank. Are you a fan or are you a follower? 
You say, well, you know, I'm, I'm not really sure. How do I know this? Let me give you just kind of a couple ways that we're tempted maybe to look at to make an evaluation whether you were a fan or a follower. Let me throw the first one out there. What about cultural comparisons? And you can write these down in your notes. I don't think we have any fill-ins for them. But you just want to kind of gauge your life and how maybe you've been doing things. What about cultural comparisons? We feel like we're okay if we're better than the guy next to us, Right? We're okay if we're better than the person in the cubicle or the office next to us. We're okay if we're better than the coworker next to us. We're okay if we're better than our brother and sister because God kind of grades that way. Folks, God does not grade on a curve. Cultural comparisons are not going to get us very far. Or maybe if you're looking to religious rules to be kind of where you're determining your factor if you're a fan or a follower. Um, I, I knew someone in college, many of us probably knew these people, who, who every Saturday night she would go out and she'd get wasted. Every Saturday night she'd go do her own thing, maybe sleep around. But on Sunday mornings at 9.30, she was in service every time. You look at that and you say, there's a disconnect between what that service means and talks about and what you do the other six days of the week. Remember I said, those are some of the scariest people to be in our churches. Those who are fans, who are acting like followers. What about a family heritage? Maybe we look to a family heritage. You know, I've got to be honest with you. God doesn't care that your great aunt Ruth was a missionary or that your great grandfather was a, was a pastor or Uncle Eddie was a deacon, all right? Doesn't get you very far with you're you going to be a fan or a follower. It doesn't take you down that road. What about your biblical knowledge? You can say all the books of the Bible all you want, forwards and backwards, underwater, you know, as you hold your breath, whatever it may be, I don't know. But that's not the requirement for being a follower. So what is? Well, you can start with the last question that I wrote down there, and the last question is this. Have you made it your own? Have you made it your own? Not someone else's, but yours. In fact, look at verses 68 and 69. It says, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. That's what it comes down to. Peter's saying, you know what? You're asking me to follow. I'm not so sure I want to. But Lord, if I don't follow you, then who am I going to follow? Well, it's you that I want to follow. And because of that decision, he becomes more and more a follower of Jesus. And his heart just opens as God just works in his life. I don't care how you start to follow. As long as you're following. As long as you're open to what God wants to do. If you're someone who's coming around here, folks, I pray that you are getting in on this I pray that you are getting on what God wants to do in each and every one of our hearts. That we will be a mass of people, not of just fans, but of followers. Of saying, Jesus, we're following. And at the end of the day, we will say what Peter says. We have believed and you have come to know, we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. There is no other. That's why we follow In fact, maybe you have known uh, God on the John 3.16 verse, which is fine. My question is this. Do you know John 3.16 or do you live out Luke 9.23? That's where it comes down to. In fact, that's what we're going to be talking about for the next six weeks. Do you just know John 3.16 
or do you live out Luke 9.23? In fact, let me give you one other verse that will just kind of rock your world. Look at this verse out of Luke chapter 14, verse 26. It says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father, or hate his own mother, or hate his wife, or hate his children, or hate his brothers and his sisters, yes, and even his own life, he can't be my what? My, my followers, my disciples. Now, some of you are like, what in the world does that mean? That's your homework this week. You need to look at what that means. I'm not going to give you the easy answer right now. I want you to grapple with that. What does it mean to hate those who are closest to it? What does it mean to hate the things that maybe I like more than God? What does that mean? And could that be a leaning as to am I a fan or am I a follower? You know, one of the things I get to enjoy doing as a pastor is uh, performing marriage ceremonies, wedding ceremonies for couples. And I always like to get to know them. This last week I was meeting with a couple preparing for a ceremony that they're going to have at the end of this month. And, and I got to thinking about this. Um, would I consider those couples in love if uh, right after the wedding ceremony that I performed, the groom started hitting on another female? Would I consider those couples in love with one another and wanting to help and love and encourage and follow one another if the bride was leaving after the ceremony with another man and going to go to the airport and fly away on a trip with that other man? Would I consider um, that couple in love if the groom never said I love you for a whole year and gave his standard man response of I loved you, I told you that at the wedding ceremony, if it changes I'll let you know, right? Would you consider that couple in love? Probably not, huh? Well, what are your actions saying about you? Would others look at your life and say, man, he's in love with Jesus. And he's following Jesus. What do your actions say about you? Fan or follower?